My name is Ben Greenfield, and on this episode of the Ben Greenfield Life Podcast. I don't think that setting up a scenario in which we rely upon plant medicines as the only way to truly and fully experiencing God is, is a good idea. I think it alienates a lot of people, and especially for me as a Christian, it means that that free message of salvation, like, you know, Jesus Christ as a deity, dying, being buried, and resurrected, and the simplicity of being able to have that as our out, have that as our salvation, totally free, without any means or requirement for anything else. All of a sudden, it almost like flips a big middle finger at God because, hey, I guess we didn't need this salvation through Jesus Christ thing because we can come to know you through these, through these plants, through these medicines. Faith, family, fitness, health, performance, nutrition, longevity, ancestral living, biohacking, and a whole lot more. Welcome to the show. Are you ready to be empowered? A remote working career at Ben Greenfield Life is made for those who desire to live life to the fullest. Those who explore and enjoy every nook and cranny of God's great creation. And those who want to discover how to achieve full optimization of mind, body, and spirit. Those that desire boundless energy to equip them to go and conquer every mountain they've been called to climb alongside a supportive community of fellow lovers of life who have a deep desire to make maximum impact with their lives, loving others fully and savoring every step of the journey with authenticity and curiosity. If you want that, then a remote working career at Ben Greenfield Life is for you. At Ben Greenfield Life, we passionately empower people to live a bold, purpose-filled, and adventurous life infused with health, hope, happiness, and love. We hold to these core values and their applications. Purpose. At Ben Greenfield Life, we seek to provide value to each other, our community, and our world. We're passionate to pursue our purpose in life. We know our purpose within our company and how each role is vital to fulfilling the Ben Greenfield Life mission and vision. Growth. At Ben Greenfield Life, we are focused and intentional on growing personally and professionally. We support one another in our individual growth and development. We strive for excellence and we're always improving. Adventure. At Ben Greenfield Life, we remain curious about life and are open to exploring it. We're bold and courageous in our own unique ways. We explore different ways to add adventure to our life and our work. Authenticity. At Ben Greenfield Life, we respect each other's right to be our own unique selves. We expect the highest levels of radical honesty, integrity, and transparency from ourselves and each other. We're human. We make mistakes. We forgive. And we seek to improve. Joy. At Ben Greenfield Life, we celebrate in fun and creative ways the accomplishments of ourselves, each other, our tribe, and our company. We savor life by celebration, parties, laughter, drinking, and eating with others, and exploring and savoring all of God's creation. Finally, love. At Ben Greenfield Life, we're willing to sacrifice and go the extra mile to help our team and our tribe. We're good stewards of our spirit, mind, and body, and know that caring for ourselves is the first step towards being able to care for others. We embrace faith and our own internal belief systems to guide how we demonstrate love to ourselves and others. So you can now become a part of this movement and join our remote team. Your decision to be here right now could be the start of joining us on this journey. 
There's a whole bunch of other great benefits to joining our remote team, like medical, dental, and vision coverage, which is available to full-time employees, a gym, fitness, and phone stipend, continuing education support and reimbursement to facilitate growth and learning for employees in an area related to your current position, or that may lead to promotional opportunities, an emphasis on volunteer projects in your community that Ben Greenfield Life will help support and give you resources for, a home office reimbursement to support you working remotely in a healthy way, and a fully remote team that comes together for an annual retreat to connect and grow our personal and professional relationships. So you can check out bengreenfieldlife.com slash careers to see our current job openings and how to apply. I'd love to have you on the team. See you there. All right, so I used to think this stuff was like the Hawaiian form of, of smoking weed, but like kind of kind of healthy. Not that smoking weed is unhealthy. Well, we're not even going to go there. Okay. So anyways, I used to go to the islands. I'd race the Ironman. I've been bow hunting down there and they drink this stuff at night. That's super relaxing and that tastes great, but it's also got like these mood boosting and cognitive enhancing and anxiety relieving effects, but without the drunkenness that you get from alcohol. So it's like this calm, but enhanced natural state of sobriety you get into when you use this compound. It's called Kava, K-A-V-A. It's like this nootropic drink for the islands in the South Pacific. They've been using it for thousands of years. If you get the good stuff, it's not bad for you. A lot of, a lot of it's just laced with nasty compounds or it's hyper-concentrated. But Kava, again, the good stuff, it's, it's starting to become known as the sober psychedelic because it's got these gentle entheogenic or psychedelic effects, but it leaves your functionality totally unimpaired. It helps to induce the same creative and introspective thinking people might be looking for with like microdosing of psychedelics improves your mental health, makes you more empathetic. What's not to love about kava? But most kava products, they use these crazy contaminated toxic plant parts and non-traditional extraction processes that bastardize the stuff and make it not good for you either. So anyways, I use this stuff called true kava. I'll just take a shot of it when I just want pure kava down the hatch. They also have this little dropper that I love to mix in with something like coffee because it seems to like take the edge off of coffee and make it last longer, which is pretty cool. But there's tons of other uses for this stuff. You go to gettruekava.com slash Ben and use code Ben for 10% off. That's gettruekava.com. Gettruekava.com. Use code Ben for 10% off. So if you're a biohacker who's looking for the newest cutting edge products to push your brain and body to the outer limits of what's possible and you want this sexy black box to come to your doorstep customized for your exact brain's strengths and weaknesses and goals so you get exactly what you need, you need to know about this nootropic stack that is taking the industry by storm. So you might not be able to get Neuralink right now installed in your head, but these nootropic compounds are fun. There's like 12 different kinds in the black box. You open it and they're all customized to you based on the questionnaire you fill out on your website. They come with a full one-year guarantee. There's no risk for you to try them for yourself. My favorite one, bar none, is this one called Nectar. There's another one called Aggressive Strength. Oh my gosh, pre-workout is amazing. But then you carry it. It's like it goes from strength to mental once you take it into your workday. It's crazy. They're called Newtopia. They're a total game changer. And they're going to give you 50 up to 50% off your first order. Use code BEN10 at newtopia.com slash BEN. That's N-O-O-T-O-P-I-A dot com slash BEN and use code BEN10 to get 50% off your order. That's pretty sweet. So today's episode is interesting. See, I got invited to be on a Twitter space, spaces. It's like, it's like a Q&A. 
the topic of this one was psychedelics, finding God, plant medicines, entheogens, you know, spiritual awakenings, drugs, you know, just that whole shebang that has kind of been a topic of late since I announced earlier uh, this summer that I really thought plant medicines were a big problem. And that after a, a lot of thinking and studying up on the topic, I decided to put up some big old warning signs against the use of mind-altering substances, uh, especially considering their widespread abuse and potential for psychological harm, but perhaps of more concern, the increased trend of people to put their faith for things like healing and trauma and relationship work and self-discovery and divination and talking to God and a spiritual awakening and anything of the like in, in drugs instead of in God which I think is dangerous if you got to go like take mushrooms to be able to be spiritual or to find God. Uh, I didn't read that anywhere in the Bible personally. I realize not everybody listening to this podcast is a Christian, but it just seems kind of weird that like if you're a special select person who's able to go out and, and journey, bro, and find yourself, you're all of a sudden on a spiritual fast track that, you know, other people who might be less advantaged or might not have access to that stuff are just not going to be able to experience. And I think there's obviously some psychological dangers as well, but I think the bigger issue is just where we're putting our faith. And I wrote a lot about this in the articles that I'll link to in the previous podcast that I'll link to. If you go to bengreenfieldlife.com slash Twitter plants, because it was on Twitter when we talk about plants, you know, bengreenfieldlife.com slash Twitter plants. You're going to learn a ton. Uh, we get into you know the new age model, whether or not plant medicines and psychedelics are evil, why it's difficult to experience the, the mystical in our times. If mushrooms open your soul to something, could you say they're demonic? Uh, my own background with psychedelics and a whole lot more. So show notes again are going to be at bengreenfieldlife.com forward slash Twitter plants. So uh, Ben, can you uh, elaborate on what your beliefs are on psychedelics? Are they evil? And how did you come to the conclusion where you are at the moment? Yeah, my background would be that, like, I was I was a freaking pretty clean kid growing up, you know, like, like soup to nuts. I was homeschooled. I grew up in, like, a, a pretty strict uh, Protestant Reformed Christian family. My idea was dr of drugs was, like, taking an extra ibuprofen when you had a headache. Uh, and so... Um, I knew a little bit about marijuana. I knew a little bit about, um, you know, alcohol, but really did not, did, did not touch barely anything aside from like some beer and wine until I was, gosh, like 30, 31, I'm 40 now. And, um, you know, began to, to, as marijuana became increasingly legal, uh, dabbled, a little bit with the use of cannabis and then had uh, had my first uh, journey, I suppose you could say, with uh, ayahuasca and DMT when I was 32 and uh, for the subsequent seven years experimented with a wide variety of psychedelics and theogens and plant medicines uh, from uh, ayahuasca to DMT to Wachuma to LSD and LSA to psilocybin to a whole bunch of uh, random chemicals from Sigma Aldrich and beyond that I would kind of psychonaut with in, in my basement and experiment with to, you know, the incenses and oils used by the Levite priests, you know, to, to burn and apply those and just basically used, used a wide 
wide variety of medicines uh, for everything from personal development to uh, relationship, um, uh, not therapy, but I guess relationship enhancement and, and sexual enhancement to um, dissolution of the ego uh, to, to simply journeying and calling upon God to see what his next steps or his voice was in my life, uh, to enhancing, you know, prayer, meditation, worship, uh, you name it. So, so basically, uh, that's, that's kind of my background in this stuff, uh, all the way up until about two months ago, at which point I kind of, kind of swore off most of it, or at least started to, to kind of reinvent my thought patterns around all of it. But yeah, that's, that's, that's my background. And it's always been like incredibly, incredibly transformative for me. I've never had any bad trips. I've never had any poor experience. It's always been light and love and purity and some, some really, really fantastic personal and professional breakthroughs. I messaged you earlier. We have similar paths. You're raised well, a, a little bit Christian, but you didn't get most of it, and then you uh, venture into the to the new age stuff. So, yeah, I've been through a similar experience. Eastern way. Can you share some background on yourself? Yeah, so I'd say I'm definitely the youngest of the group. I'm about to turn twenty in like probably a week. Um, I definitely don't have the background as Ben, but I do have a lot of experiences with psychedelics already. Uh, mostly cannabis and psychedelic mushrooms, and I have also experienced acid a few times. Yeah, I also just, I love, like, diving into the topics of what psychedelics can do for you and, like, to your mind. And so for the past maybe year or year and a half, I've just been kind of just going down the rabbit hole and, and seeing, listening to people like Terrence McKenna and Alan Watts and what they have to say about psychedelics and and it's just really interesting. I've had uh, plenty of transformative experiences with them. I have had a few bad trips as well. And I have seen people with really bad trips. And that kind of changed my viewpoint a little bit on it. Because I used to think, I used to kind of overweigh the benefit and underweigh the danger of them. After a few experiences and what I've seen, that kind of shifted a little bit for me. But um, I guess we can get more into like how my view have shifted a little bit later. But I guess that's just my like quick background on, on the matter. All right. Thank you, man. Uh, that sounds very interesting for later because it's uh, kind of different from my experience as well. Uh, Arnold, can you share something about yourself? So I started smoking cannabis when I was 13, nearly 14. <laughs> so that's mature. Part of the story was actually uh, watching Bill Hicks his uh, Revelations stand-up show when I was 13 and uh, he talks about psychedelics and whatnot and that kind of got me intrigued in that whole world. Then I was probably 18 when I got into MDMA and LSD and then from there I tried uh, ketamine and then you know, various other drugs as well. When I turned, I would have been about 30, I did an ayahuasca ceremony and that was incredibly transformative to me. I was in a really bad place at the time, uh, living in London, really depressed and just not feeling good about life in general. And uh, that that first ceremony in particular was uh, really transformative for me, incredibly so. I'd always been interested in kind of like Eastern spirituality and I'd done some meditation, sort of having traveled through Southeast Asia and uh, Nepal and whatnot. 
So I'd done a bit of meditation, but when I came back from the ceremony, it kicked me off with a serious meditation practice um, and going on silent retreats and stuff like that. I then did a couple of ceremonies over the following years in the, in the UK. And then uh, didn't attend any ceremonies for a while for various reasons. Probably since then, since moving to Australia, like seven and a half years ago, uh, I did attended a few ceremonies when I first moved over here. And then probably over the last sort of year, 18 months, I've, I've, been, I've attended about six or seven. So all up over the years, like 14 years, I've attended maybe 20 ceremonies. So not huge, but, you know, it's a significant amount still. It's probably been the last 18 months or so that the attending the ceremonies has been particularly beneficial, apart from the first time. Besides that, over the last yeah, six or seven months, I've been occasionally microdosing with psilocybin, which again, I find incredibly helpful um, for creativity and just like shifting mood blockages. But again, that's very, very occasional use, really. Um, oftentimes, that's just as a creative boost mainly so yeah that's my that's my general background with it i'm sort of very interested in what what you guys are saying i read ben's article and listened to his uh, podcast episode and, and what vril had written about it so it's definitely definitely thinking about it a lot the last couple of days i'm generally in favor of restricted or limited use of plant medicines but um yeah we can get into all of that so that's that's where i'm at all right cool well, I'll share something about my uh, background on psychedelics. I grew up in a um, fairly atheistic, agnostic uh, family. I was baptized as a Catholic, but never had any of the things of the church uh, in my life. So that was a quick, slippery slope, I guess you could say, into atheism. I became a hardcore atheist. And after that, I was finding something well, more meaningful in life, something, there had to be something more. So I had two friends from my high school that were into the LSD and the LSA and the magic mushrooms. So they invited me to do some shrooms, like a small microdose. And I said, well, why not? I joined them in, I was 22, so I'm now 28. So it was six years ago. And it made me realize there was something more than just the material world. I think that it opened my, they say the third eye, they, uh, it opens up your soul to something more. But I realize now, I think it's, it can be dangerous to uh, open these kinds of portals with the uh, magic mushrooms. And I did them maybe five, I think five times with the magic mushrooms. And the last time I puked, <laughs> it it was actually really disgusting to well, still trip out on it after I uh, puked them out. So I think you could say that was a bad trip because it it, it makes it makes you completely docile if you are uh, tripping out. And I just didn't like that feeling of not having control over your own conscious. It's like you're getting raped by demons from a spiritual realm it's uh yeah it's not a pleasant experience at all so shortly after that i had a relationship of two years with a 
with a with my girlfriend and i broke up after i found out about jesus christ and the bible and our 2000 year of uh, years of tradition and culture in the european well western hemisphere that we had this culture and i i believe now that is the the true way of uh, becoming a spiritual person instead of just these external pieces of spirituality uh, it's, it's like a shortcut to spirituality and i and that's why i don't like it anymore because it takes no effort to become spiritual that just sounds demonic to me so what are your guys thoughts on that yeah, I mean, something you said there I think is really important and is, is maybe a, a really good way to contextualize this because it is possible to experience God through plant medicines in, in a very, very profound and, and what is often you know, interpreted as, as meaningful way, meaning that I don't, I don't think anyone would deny that, for example, an atheist on a heroic dose of psilocybin, gosh, sometimes even, you know, a synthetic like, you know, ketamine, for example, uh, or, or LSD or, or Wachuma or ayahuasca might emerge from that experience with a complete inability to deny the existence of God. And often that, that person who, who might have been atheist or not religious or not spiritual winds up being transformed in a, in a pretty remarkable way. And so I think that's one of the uphill battles we fight in terms of the emerging popularity and often the misuse and abuse of plant medicines and entheogens is this idea that, gosh, there's just so many good things that have happened to people. And, and yeah, there are bad trips and elements of psychosis, et cetera, and schizophrenia and violence that we could perhaps get into later, you know, even sexual abuse. But for the most part, you know, the tricky part is saying, gosh, if that's what happens, you know, in a good scenario, in the proper set and setting with the use of plant medicine, gosh, that's like, that's amazing. And I think that's the first issue that is actually a little bit scary or at least disadvantageous is this idea that one can pop pills or get an intramuscular injection or sip a brew and experience God in this, this really, really uh, arguably even more um, transformative and impactful and meaningful and, and thorough way than one might experience when, say, you know, fully sober on their knees in prayer or in a church worshiping or, you know, sitting cross-legged meditating or even through something like breath work. And when you have an experience that that's, mean, that's, that, that's that meaningful, it can become relied upon as a crutch for the spiritual experience and begin to be viewed as the only path to enlightenment. And that's, that's kind of the issue is that, you know, when you look at conversations between like Aldous Huxley and, and Timothy Leary, it's this idea that, gosh, like these things are only available to a, to a select few, you know, for enhancing their spiritual experience and, and for, you know, becoming closer to God or experiences in God's love and light. And, you know, we should figure out a way to, to make these accessible and available to the entire population so that they too can come to, to know God in the same way that, that we have. And, you know, the, the problem is that you then set up a scenario, in my opinion, that dictates that the only real way to experience God is through drugs, is through plant medicines, 
and like all the billions and billions of people who might not ever be able to afford it or have the proper container for it, like they're just kind of screwed. Like they're, they're never going to be able to be on the same path to spiritual enlightenment. And, and I, I don't think that setting up a scenario in which we rely upon plant medicines as the only way to truly and fully experiencing God is, is a good idea. I think it alienates a lot of people. And especially for me as a Christian, it means that that free message of salvation, like, you know, Jesus Christ as a deity, dying, being buried and resurrected and the simplicity of being able to have that as our out, have that as our salvation, totally free without any means or requirement for anything else. All of a sudden, it almost like flips a big middle finger at God because, hey, I guess we didn't need this salvation through Jesus Christ thing because we can come to know you through these through these plants, through these medicines. And so I think that's the problem is that rather than experiencing the suffering and the pain and the hard work and the chopping wood and the carrying water and the blood, sweat, and tears of the spiritual disciplines of fasting and prayer and worship and dietas and, uh, and, and, and meditation and, and perseverance and endurance in a sober and awake and alert state, we instead have this option to take the easy route. And life isn't just about the easy route. And, and spirituality isn't just about experiencing God. It's about knowing God. And knowing God includes putting into practice all of the laws of God, you know, loving others, loving yourself, loving God, you know, not stealing or lying or coveting or murdering, etc. And when we instead say that we're just going to experience God and then the goodness of ourselves, the goodness of us as a human race is going to accomplish what God desires. Well, you know, we see what happens in socialism and communism and Nazi Germany and beyond when we assume that people are good and they're going to make the right decisions. And so I think that that's, that's one of the first issues. So obviously, like, I, I won't go on as long as I could because I just published a whole article about this. You know, it's on the front page of my website right now. And I also just published a podcast. I think the article's better because I go into more detail than I do in the podcast. And I think it's, you're better able to click on resources and articles and references and books and things like that to take a deeper dive um, it's just at, at bengreenfieldlife.com somewhere you could, you can find it. It's probably still right on the front page. But anyways, um, when a few months ago, I really decided to kind of take a deeper dive, especially as a man of faith, as a Christian into what the Bible, which I would consider to be the absolute source of truth, uh, says about the matter of plant medicines, you know, the Bible brings up this concept of pharmakia, and specifically in the context of the Bible, that means using drugs to commune with God, you know, big G God or little G gods, right? And that would be like divination, astral projection, witchcraft, sorcery, you know, attempting to become possessed by a spirit, attempting to possess someone else with a spirit, um, you know, curses, hexes, and that would even include white magic. You know, a lot of what I just listed might fall under the category of black magic, but that would also include like white magic, right? Like um, divining with God to know where to hunt or what God's path for you in life might be or the next decision God might want you to make or, you know, calling upon God when deep in plant medicines and saying, you know, God, what would you have for me to see? What would you have for me to bring back to the people? That's all actually uh, like forbidden in the Bible. And so then I step back and I say, well, why the heck would God say that? Because, you know, like you could read like, whatever, like in the book of Leviticus, right? It says, don't eat pork. And you're like, oh, why would God say not to eat pork and shellfish? Well, if you look at that contextually, it's like, because those are dirty animals back in the day. They concentrate a lot of toxins in their fat tissue, you know, or in their other tissues. And when you consume them, you're more likely to get sick. So it was a good idea, you know, and 
and now since then things have changed a little bit and we have cleaner farming practices and you know cleaner water practices for harvesting shellfish and like i'm not a no pork no shellfish guy i think there are there are certain elements of of that old law that have that have since passed away but then pharmacia appears in both the new testament you know the new law and the old law the new covenant and the old covenant so you can't just say well it was old thing that was banned by god and now it's safe and so when you look at, at scripture and it says these things like why does it say that well then if you step back and you look at it you know plants plant medicines in particular uh altered state of consciousness entheogens psychedelics hallucinogens have all for the eons of time you know for for thousands of years of history been the spirit world's preferred method of communing with humans right occasionally you see god like talking to prophets in the bible you know through wind and earthquake and fire or you know moses with the burning bush or just speaking to people through dreams and visions etc but for the most part especially from a pagan standpoint the gods talk to people through plants right and yeah plants have two types of intelligence right there's plant intelligence that's like the mycorrhizal network that connects all the plants and that's how they communicate to each other and spread nutrients and, and bacteria. And of course, plants also release neurotransmitters and neurochemicals, you know, such as like when a giraffe is chewing on the leaf of a tree in the savanna, that leaf will produce a, a, a neurochemical that then travels to the other trees and causes the leaves to close or them to upregulate the productions of like bitters and antioxidants that would cause the giraffe to become more nauseous upon consumption of that leaf. And, you know, plants, plants are pretty cool. Like they have this whole intelligent network built into them. But then there's a second plant intelligence, and that is the fact that, you know, that, that spirits and gods of the world like to uh, communicate to people through the use of plants. Um, you know, uh, I think anybody who has studied, you know, shamanism or, uh, or many elements of plant medicine or, or journey themselves, uh, while there still are some people out there who believe it's just neurochemicals and neurotransmitters in our brain and a soup of serotonin flooding the synaptic cleft or, you know, dopaminergic transmission being upregulated or whatever, I think people have really had a meaningful journey, know in their hearts that's not the case, and have seen and experienced entities and spirits and visions that dictate that there is a spiritual world out there. It's very real. It surrounds us. And one of the prime methods via with it, which it communicates with us is through plants. And so then stepping back and looking at that, I think, okay, well, well, why the heck would, would God like kind of frown upon that? Like, why, why would I as a Christian be advised by God not to use plant medicines to divine with the gods? Well, it's because, yeah, you could talk to big G God, but you're entering into a spiritual dimension in which you're susceptible to being influenced by a wide variety of demons and angels and spirits and entities. And considering that like your soul, your spirit is the one everlasting eternal part of you, that forms your entire consciousness and will go on to live for eternity, you're kind of playing with fire when it comes to putting your soul on the line, entering into that environment in which you could be possessed, in which you could be influenced by, you know, demons masquerading as angels of light, or even, you know, Lucifer, who is technically the light bearer, right? A lot of the bright lights and, and the, the light entities that people see, you know, I'm convinced aren't even God and angels, they're actually Luciferian entities. And the problem with that is, of course, uh, and I, I think here's, here's the biggest problem with it is that these entities are able to not only possess you, which occasionally happens like psychosis, schizophrenia, violence, you know, uh, you know, sexual issues. Like, you know, I've seen guys coming out of ayahuasca and cutting off their dicks and you know, just all sorts of crazy stuff. Those are pretty few use cases. Let's, let's face it. We don't want to say, well, psychosis is a good reason not to use plant medicine because that could occur with a lot of different things. Um, however, the, the problem is that when, 
you're entering into that spiritual dimension and being, you know, possessed by a lot of these entities, typically the takeaway message, and this is the confusing part for a lot of people, is like, holy cow, like love is all you need. We are love. I am love. You are love. Sometimes I am God. You are God. We are good. We can change this world. We can do this, people. Kumbaya. Let's gather around the campfire and change the world because we've been on our mushroom trip and, and like all the world needs is love. All we need to do is love each other. We're good people and we can change the world together. Let's do this. Well, that's like, that's like the very, very, very best argument against like Christianity and what, what God knows to be right. And that is the assumption that we don't need God, right? If we're good, we don't need God. Right. And if we don't need God, then, you know, the devil and demons and, and all these things that can operate through plant medicines have kind of won because humans are inherently good. And all we need to do is love each other, which works out for a little while. But again, when you look at it from a socialistic, communistic standpoint, like we have to have some element of absolute morality. We have to have some element of absolute truth. We have to know that, let's say, like killing a person is wrong. Like it's not like don't kill people because people don't like that or because you don't like it. It's like, no, don't kill people because it's wrong you know, or don't steal, you know, your next door neighbor's lawnmower and take it for your own. Not because like he would like you to not do that. And you would like to not do that, but because it's actually legitimately wrong. And the fact is that if there weren't those absolute moralities built into nature and built into law and built into, you know, our country's law, but into God's law, the world goes to hell in a handbasket pretty quick. When we all of a sudden assume we don't need God, all we need is love and we're all good people inside. And so that's, that's kind of like one of the problems with the seemingly noble and laudable end result of plant medicine is this technically uh, can kind of create like um, not only an apathetic society that's, that's easily susceptible to influence from, you know, the government, authority, et cetera, but also society that believes it's good and that we don't need God. Long story short is I think when it comes to plant medicines, if we're using them, and we're using them to divine with the gods and we're using them to, to talk to God or little G God, big G gods, whatever. And we're using them for divination, source craft or sorcery, witchcraft, astral projection, anything of the like that would traditionally be considered the use of them in a pharmacia-like sense. I think we're playing with fire. Do I think that those specific plants or their synthetic variants exist for a reason? Absolutely. I would say that there are some use cases for like couples therapy using MDMA right? Where you're not journeying with an eye mask and music and divining with the gods or entering into a spiritual world. You're like sitting, facing your partner, eyes wide open, talking to each other. The, another example would be trauma therapy. Sometimes it does take some of these compounds to shift the brain into a state where it can relive epigenerational trauma and where some of that can be processed. I think that there are use cases for that and use cases for addiction in a medically controlled set and setting, not with some shama down the Amazon who could technically possess you, own you, you know, even cast, you know, the type of spell or curse upon you that would make you just keep coming on back for more to pay that shaman money, which, which honestly happens, you know, money or sex. So I'm not talking about trauma and addiction therapy in that sense. I'm talking about medical, you know, such as in like a medically controlled set and setting in, in a ketamine clinic. I think there's use case for that. I think that there's a use case for microdosing creativity, productivity, focus. I don't really think that uh, you enter anywhere near into an altered state of consciousness of the level that you would subject yourself to spiritual entities if you're microdosing. So I think that's okay. I think uh, cannabis, like for pain or for sleep, you know, that type of thing, I think there's an appropriate use case there as well, right? Sometimes we need to step back instead of saying, you know, all or nothing, black and white, 
like what's the thing we actually avoid? Well, in my opinion, the thing we actually avoid is entheogenic, hallucinogenic, psychedelic substances that shift one into an altered state of consciousness specifically for the purpose of finding yourself, dissolving your ego, divining with God, etc. And then the last thing, and then I'm going to shut up because I probably didn't cover everything, but I covered a few things I wanted to touch on, is this whole idea of end-of-life therapy, you know, cancer therapy, uh, near-death experience simulation, etc. And I'm kind of on the fence about this one because this returns back to the, you know, life is meant to be both the pain and the pleasure, both the, you know, the easy pill-popping route and the, and the suffering. And I sometimes wonder if this whole end-of-life therapy thing is yet another attempt to be immortal, to not face the pain that comes with death. And you got to wonder sometimes, like, well, if you experience pain through death, will the bliss in the afterlife be all that better? Will heaven or the afterlife or, or whatever experiences we experience on the other side be all the more meaningful? Because we didn't try to like make death easy by trying to simulate it over and over again so we never had to feel the pain. And so I sometimes wonder if some of this end-of-life therapy is potentially removing some of the benefits of what a true death experience for a human is supposed to be like. And that's not that's something I'm still just kind of thinking about and rolling around in my head. I haven't really reached conclusion to that. But so yeah, so long story short, is there some appropriate uses of these plant medicines, both synthetic and natural? But I think we're playing with fire once we're laying flat on our back, slobbering with our tongue hanging out the corner of our mouth, sometimes with a shaman standing over us, sometimes self-administered in a totally different spiritual dimension, totally open to entities, demons, angels, whatever it is that wants to talk to us or possess us or shift us or deceive us. And even if everything goes perfectly right, if the end result is us coming out of that and saying, oh, hey, I'm a good person. All I got to do is love other people. Well, I got news for you. Humans aren't inherently good. Love is not all the world needs. We actually need God and truth and absolute morality. And if it's just about humans and our ability to be good, uh, again, history repeatedly shows that stuff goes south fast in a scenario like that. So I'll shut up now. Those are a few of my thoughts, though. All right. Thank you, man. Um, I wrote down a lot of notes. One thing that came up for me was uh, what I've seen in a lot of New Age people and even agnostic people, even atheists. They say... We are all one, dude. I am you. You are me, and uh, we're this tree, and we're the, we're we're the, the sky. We're we're gods. We're all just one. What do you think of, about that? Well, yeah, that it kind of returns to what I talked about earlier. And again, I don't want to hog the conversation. I, I would welcome anybody to jump in who, who wants to. But yeah, that, that that's um. I guess like my quick thought on that is it, it it's a little bit of like a pantheistic philosophy, right? Like. I'm God, you're God, God is in the plan, God is in everything. It, it can lead to a little bit of what I suppose for, for a Christian especially would be considered to be idolatry, right? like worshiping things other than God, including ourselves, and negating the absolute greatest gift that humankind was ever given, you know, whether you believe in it or not, I, I think that we, there can definitely be made a, a historical argument for the existence of and the death and even the deity, you know, based on a lot of the miraculous things that occurred during his time of Jesus Christ. And that's either true or it isn't, the whole story of Jesus Christ and his deity and, and his, his burial, et cetera. But let's say it is true just for a moment. Let's step back and say that it is true. And if you believe that story and you turn your heart over to Jesus Christ, that you'll live forever and all your sin, all your guilt, all your suffering, all your shame can be laid at the foot of the cross. Then we say, but there's this one other thing that could also fix the world, plant medicines. Because, you know, we're, we're all gods and all we need is love, bro. Then 
you know, it does create a scenario, a very tricky scenario where all of a sudden really, you know, like Jesus isn't necessary. And I think for a lot of religious people, you know, particularly people of, of, uh, not just Abrahamic religions, but specifically Judeo-Christians religions like that, that, that can be a pretty big pill to swallow, an unpleasant pill to swallow. Yeah, absolutely. Eastern way. What are your thoughts on that? On the oneness thing? It's definitely a, a unique feeling that you can really only feel when you're on uh, a plant medicine. And Ben did talk for a while. There's a lot to digest. I don't think anyone can deny that plant medicines are dangerous. They're definitely very powerful. They, I do agree that they take you to realms that we don't really understand. Um, psychedelics just really show you that. They show you how little you understand uh, about life. But I think problems arise with the misuse and abuse of them. Because in my opinion, if a psychedelic trip does its job, you don't really want to do it again. You don't really get addicted to psychedelics. Cannabis is like a whole other thing. I think you can get addicted to cannabis. I have certainly been addicted to cannabis. I know friends who are addicted, but that's like, I kind of put that in a separate category. But if we're just talking like pure psychedelics, like LSD or, or mushrooms or MDMA, I think if it does its job, you don't really want to do it again. They really just kind of throw you against like the walls of your mind and they it's like a journey into your unconscious. So if they do really do their job, you don't want to repeat. Like it's very rare that you get hooked on like mushrooms or LSD. So it's really just people being stupid with psychedelics, playing with fire. These are not a party drug. You don't do them at festivals or near negative energy because you're definitely open and susceptible to spirits, as Ben said. But I think if you do your research and you're smart with it and you you just kind of like know, well, no one really knows what they're doing, but you just aren't like misusing it. You have, you have to respect the medicine because at the end of the day, it's a medicine. You know, you don't get hooked on, on a medicine. You don't get, a medicine is supposed to do its job and then you kind of leave it alone. It doesn't become a diet. So that's kind of my two cents on like using psychedelics for specific purposes. In terms of like the oneness thing, it really, you can't, it's like a transformation of consciousness. So you really like when you're tripping on shrooms, like you just feel one with everything. But uh, if, is that the truth? Like, is that, are you really one with everything? Like, who knows? Psychedelics just show you what you don't know. It's like just a whole nother realm that we don't understand. So it's definitely playing with fire. They are dangerous, but does that make them inherently evil? I wouldn't say so. Because I would say saying that they're evil kind of overweighs the risks and underweighs the benefits. Let's talk about magnesium. So magnesium is an essential mineral responsible for 300 vital functions in your body, yet 60% of us are deficient. Now, I started working with this company to actually get you magnesium in a very tasty manner. They're these wellness ingestibles from a company called Higher Dose. And I helped them develop three different products, detox drops, hydration powder, and chill chews. They're all designed to pair with the higher dose infrared red light and PEMF devices, like their sauna blanket and their infrared face mask and their mat. Like you take this stuff, you pair it with their products and you enhance the detox, enhance the effects. Like you can add the detox drops to your water before a workout or a sauna session, bunch of hyper clean ingredients, binds to toxins, nice minty flavor. I love that one. I had it in my coffee this morning, actually. Then they have the hydration powder. 
That's an electrolyte-rich formula. It's got magnesium, a potent blend of B vitamins, a bunch of other goodies in there, specifically to support a sauna session. So you just shoot this stuff back before you go in the sauna. Then they have chill chews. These are magnesium gummies. You eat them at night. They help to balance your body and relax your mind. They're super good. They're low sugar. I'll just grab a handful of them. I don't know how many I'm supposed to eat. The bottle probably says, but I just grab a handful of them and go to bed. And it's amazing. And they taste really good. So anyways, this company, Higher Dose, is building some great stuff. And I've consulted with them and helped them out with their menu, so to speak. So this stuff is huge thumbs up for me because I helped help them with it. So you go to higherdose.com slash Ben to get 15% off of any of their stuff today. Higherdose.com slash Ben. Or you can just use promo code Ben and that will get you 50% off. Welcome to Hot Chocolate Time. You know, my kids love hot chocolate and I love that they're able to drink delicious, healthy hot chocolate. So this is a company that does 100% USDA certified organic hot chocolate with 10 different superfoods in it and a bunch of amazing, amazing ingredients for immune health, for body repair, for assisting with sleep, a whole lot more. The average hot cocoa, cup of hot chocolate has 200 calories, 6 grams of fat and 25 grams of sugar. This stuff has just 23 calories less than two grams of fat and one gram of sugar. And it's got stuff like turmeric and ginger and reishi mushroom and lemon ball and turkey tail mushroom. And it's it's just this, this really, really cool, creamy blend that actually makes you healthy as you drink it. It's especially encouraged for nighttime sleep because a lot of the ingredients support relaxation. And that's a perfect time to sip hot chocolate anyways. It's USD organic, certified gluten-free, glyphosate residue-free, dairy-free, soy-free, vegan, non-GMO, clinically proven ingredients and 100% organic whole food. It comes from my friends at Organifi, Organifi with an I. So if you go to Organifi.com slash Ben, they'll get you 20% off of any order, including this delicious Organifi gold chocolate at Organifi.com slash Ben. All right, so if you want the best formulated probiotic that actually goes where it's supposed to go and helps you poop better, you should take the one that I use. It's super scientific. It's called the CDSO1. I go through a lot of probiotics, and I'm actually a fan of cycling probiotics, but the one that just kind of stays in my calendar all year long because it just makes me poop well and it feels good, and it's got this pomegranate extract in it, which I know helps these little bacteria to produce urolithin, which is like an anti-aging compound in and of itself. I interviewed these folks on my podcast. Even my sons have interviewed these folks on, on their little cooking podcast because these are the smartest people that I know of when it comes to probiotics. And they're super cool, the folks who run this company. It's called Seed. And they got a great URL. Super hard to remember, folks. Seed.com. You go to seed.com slash Ben and use code Ben15 to redeem 15% off your first month of this stuff. Seed.com slash Ben. And again, the one I use is their DS01 Daily Symbiotic. 24 clinically and scientifically studied probiotic strains not found in yogurt and most supplements and most fermented foods and beverages. So check them out. Seed.com slash Ben. Use code Ben15. Real quick, I was going to say, I don't think they're evil. I don't think plant medicines are evil. I think they're, they're tools via which evil can interact with us, right? Like, I don't think like a magic mushroom or whatever is like inherently evil or has like, you know, it's probably got actually pretty high, like, like energetic frequencies. If you were to map it on like David Hawkins, you know, map of consciousness or something like that. I think these things resonate at pretty high frequencies, you know, which would be like peace and love and joy, et cetera. But you know, where the last speaker is at currently is where I was at probably like a year ago where I'm like, okay, well, yeah, these things are like powerful and they're being abused. 
and we got to put them in the right set and setting and stop people who don't know what they're doing from using them and, you know, stop like the, the sexual abuse that's occurring, you know, that was recently in the big New Yorker magazine podcast series expose. I don't know if anybody saw that, but, you know, you can go download all these podcasts and I'm sure you guys have heard of a lot of the, the, the abuse that happens in the sector. And that's just one example, of course. Uh, and so, you know, I used to think, well, let's just make sure it's all protected and in a medically appropriate set and setting. But, you know, that makes the assumption that, okay, as long as we control the container, everything's going to be okay. And again, this gets kind of woo, but if you do believe in spiritual dimensions and entities, then believing you can somehow like control them and have them at your beck and call, you know, including God and be able to take like these ancient entities. We're talking like, you know, things like, you know, I read about in the Bible, like Baal, you know, and Dagon and like old school, like, you know, India, you know, Krishna, Shivna, like, like these are like super powerful gods who have toyed with human beings since the dawn of time who existed before human beings. Do we really think that if we say, okay, well, if I take shrooms, whatever, in my basement with my friend who's a doctor versus down in the Amazon or at a party, then I'm going to be okay. And so like where I've changed my philosophy is like, oh, wait, these things like have the capability to put us into a very exposed state from a spiritual standpoint, no matter where they're administered. And because of that, even in a properly controlled set and setting, a properly controlled container, I am still of the opinion that in that container, you'd still want to play it safe and go with something that is not tainted with this dark energy or hasn't traditionally been used for things like witchcraft and sorcery, et cetera. And when I say that, I'm talking about, you know, something like ketamine or MDMA, for example, you know, and I think that, that some of these synthetics carry with them a little less of these dark energies, but, but yeah, I, uh, you know, I used to think, oh, just keep it safe. But with some of these plant medicines that, you know, that, that the little G gods have traditionally interacted with people through, you know, now I'm of the opinion. That's why I recently wrote that new article. That's, you know, it's, it's playing with, with, with fire, especially when it comes to your eternal existence. Hey, do you mind if I jump in there, guys? Go ahead. Yeah, so, oh, there's, yeah, there's so many points to cover off there. I mean, I think that, I, I look, I agree with, where, particularly with ayahuasca, which is where I've got more significant amount of experience with, you're definitely opening yourself up to spirits. Like, there's no doubt in my mind that you are opening up to another dimension and entities which for me have always been incredibly uh, welcoming and positive so there's there's definitely something there where you're opening yourself up very widely to a completely different dimension um of being uh, and whether that's like in the islamic concept of like jinn and the like disembodied spirits and there's good and bad jinn and um like i said my experience has always been incredibly positive with the sort of sometimes occasionally with the sort of entities that i've experienced but i could really see i kind of i do agree that you're definitely opening yourself up to um something there it's not just a brain chemistry experience there's something far deeper going on now have i ever like communed with god or anything while journeying no i don't think so like i've always actually been very disappointed because that's what i've kind of been looking for in a way uh, or part of it as well as the sort of personal development side of it and helping deal with depression and addiction and stuff, which it has helped me incredibly. But I would say it's a step away from big G God, for sure. Uh, it's more of a spirit realm. And there's definitely a sense more recently when I've used the ayahuasca that 
you you are communing with the the spirit of uh, ayahuasca itself as well, which is a very distinct one aside from the other spirits. So it sounds if you've never experienced it, I'm sure it sounds really woo woo, but it there's definitely something. There's no doubt in my mind after the journeys I've done that there's something going on there. And I think like like Ben said, that that's the 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 importance of the set and setting. It's definitely none of this stuff is party drugs like you know i did it as a kid um lsd for example and it'd be like me and like 50 60 friends would go out into the woods and have a big fire and, and whatnot and just sort of spend hours and hours just laughing and talking shit um but i think the real transformative stuff comes within the right set and setting so you are as protected as you possibly can be but as you say you are definitely incredibly vulnerable i think one of the things is that it does become it from the a lot of people i've met it can become a lifestyle where like the, the the shaman bro article which i've just retweeted um that ben put into his article uh really made me laugh because there's definitely people who do plant medicines and then that becomes their their lifestyle and their whole reason for being that they're just experimenting constantly and constantly dosed up and microdosing and they're living in that realm a lot of the time and there are people who do that certainly and the people who do that and then wonder why they're not changing as a person it's because they're they're receiving all these messages and um getting these insights about themselves but just refu plainly refusing just to do the work and i just think that the the medicine is magic it's like a magic bullet it's going to fix all my problems i drink this stuff i go on a journey and then everything's going to be great and that's in my experience that's just not the case um, you have to do the work afterwards and it takes time to integrate. I think one of the problems I believe is that there's a lack of leaving aside you open yourself up to entities and stuff is that there's a lack of integration coaches or people aware that they need that it's more beneficial to when you go through an experience like this to actually have someone to coach you through the integration process afterwards because oftentimes in my experience you do the the plant medicines over a course of a weekend and then you go back home and you're just kind of left to go back to your normal life and you've done you've seen all this stuff and it's brought all this personal shit up um and you feel very aligned it's like a factory reset but then you're left to kind of go back to your normal life and kind of make sense of it yourself which i think is uh problematic uh, and i think that's probably what draws people back to doing the medicine um repeatedly in close succession because of that they they haven't had time to integrate the insights and just move on and use the medicine in a in a very sort of um more limited capacity and then moving on quickly if you don't mind just oh yeah because in terms of like the the dimension shift and stuff like this like you say like you, you are opening yourself up but I, I mean i would argue that things like alcohol is just as easily open yourself in a different way because if you, if you if you consider that the 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 reality that we live in is um like the spiritual warfare going on then that transcends just the plant medicines and will appear and manifest itself in lots of different areas so you know you look at like general degeneracy like pornography and alcohol abuse and general drug abuse like things like in australia there's a big problem with like uh, a drug called ice um and all all those other drugs as well they are part of a bigger problem within society which i would suggest that they, they're part of that sort of demonic attack as well by the way quick quick thought on that you know 
it, it is true. Like there's these chunks in the Bible where it says like, oh, these are the most evil of evil things, you know, and yeah, murders in there and like child sacrifice. But three that do appear are drunkenness, pharmakia, and pornea, right? Pornography. But it's interesting that the three aren't all lumped into the same category, right? They actually are differentiated. And I think the reason for that is that although like alcohol and porn are two other things that, that have the potential to like kill your very soul, right? Like they're like some of the more like mortally damaging things that you can fall into. Anybody who's been addicted to those knows that. I still think that the reason that pharmacia is differentiated from alcohol and is differentiated from porn is that it actually of anything has the highest potential to cause you to be susceptible to dark energies and dark spirits and dark influences. And I think that's why traditionally it versus alcohol or graphic imagery or breath work or anything else has been used for like possession, astral projection, witchcraft, sorcery, et cetera. So I think there are some like some subtle nuances between pharmacia and then alcohol or porn. Yeah, I, I can see that. But I mean, at the same time, you look at the impact that alcohol has on society and the damage it does in terms of people abusing it and causing, you know, fueling domestic violence and violence in general. You've only got to go to most city centres on a Friday or Saturday night to see the impact that alcohol has and the sort of um, the direction that it sends people. Like, yeah, I, I agree. Like, alcohol's alcohol is horrible or, or can't like, you know, I have a glass of wine every night, but yeah, like alcohol abuse is horrible. The problem is, and here's, here's what I think. Like the reason we might be having this discussion anyways, in the first place is there's not a whole lot of people bragging to their friends about how drunk they got on the weekend. All right. Well, maybe in college, you know, but, but there's not a whole lot of people bragging about, you know, their drinking habits and their addiction to alcohol. There's a whole lot of people talking about their plant medicine trips and their ayahuasca and discovering themselves and spiritual enlightenment. And so I think the problem is that the plant medicine, especially compared to the alcohol, is considered like noble and laudable and worthy and often safe with very little danger. And so I think it has more potential for abuse and misuse because it's so kind of like lauded versus the vilification of alcohol in today's society. I, th I think both have their downfalls, but I think the problem is like, you know, um, plant medicines are kind of like they're the darling of society right now. Yeah, yeah, I, I, definitely, I definitely take that point. I mean, it's definitely something that's become increasingly trendy over the years since I first uh, did ayahuasca. Uh, attended the ceremony so yeah you, you can definitely see that that it seemed to be um sort of the non-plus-ultra in terms of spirituality and um which i i agree i think is 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 wrong i think that's um it's a limited view on the potential that as you said i think you said in your article that psychedelics are like a booby prize um for the what was it the fall of the western christendom and i think that's that's largely true. I think it's probably a reflection on society as a whole that people are looking for quick fixes and ways to be spiritual or to, to touch into spiritual realisation, but without having to do the work to get there. The first time I did it, as I said, uh, the ayahuasca was the one thing that got me deeply into meditation practice. And then for, for like maybe eight years after that, up until we had kids, it sort of changed. But I was meditating for like two hours a day. Now, some of the biggest realizations and, and shifts I've had are actually through meditation alone with no substance, just sitting on a cushion in my living room, meditating. 
and doing that practice. Now, so I do believe that spiritual practice and uh, contemplative prayer or whatever form of meditation, you have to do the work outside the ceremony. And I do agree that there's a limited use of plant medicines because they are, I think they can help people shift from stuck states or deal with past trauma. But to then keep going back and back and back just as a lifestyle thing, I don't think I don't see that as being incredibly beneficial. I think it's more moving from there to installing a more um, rigorous uh, spiritual practice in your life. But and I, and I think as a, as a side comment, I'd, I'd say that, or as a separate thread, I'd say that the spiritual aspect of Christianity, let's say, kind of got downplayed significantly. So you've got people like Father Thomas Keating and Thomas Merton and uh, what's his name, Thomas Main. And various others within the sort of mystic tradition, uh, Richard Raw, um, who have kind of started to promote the more spiritual aspects of the the, the balance of the spiritual deeper aspect of uh, Christianity, and I think that's sorely lacking generally. Because like when I've been to church within my local area, I've been to a few different churches. They're very functional places that people go in and go out and the, the ritual aspect has been taken away the spiritual aspect has been taken away now i know there are some trad catholic churches and obviously still the orthodox church with its um theosis etc and it's more mystical theology and i just wonder if that's a uh, i know richard uh, bishop baron talks about this that the church kind of let itself down by allowing a focus on rationality and trying to adapt itself to modern society when it wasn't setting a bar high enough for people to reach towards and have a, a deeper emphasis on the mystical and the communion with God directly outside of any substances, which is which I do believe is possible. And as I say, some of the most transformative experiences I've had have actually been meditating. You're totally right. Like the... Um... And this might this leads into something I kind of wanted to say, uh, just because I can't stick around for too much longer. But I think you you kind of laid things out perfectly for just like the last thing I kind of want to bring to the table here. But I want to address one quick thing here, and that's like you are correct. Like post reformational, logical, rational, uh, theological, uh, liturgical religion, particularly in, in branches of Christianity outside of Catholicism and orthodoxy, have dictated that it's very difficult to experience a mystical knowing and experiencing of God similar to what the Desert Fathers and Mothers, many of whom you just named, would have experienced, you know, and, and there, are, there are certainly many of them who have detailed in, in their writings the visions and uh, the prophecies and the deep experiences with God, and these occurred in the absence of plant medicine, by the way, that is largely absent from our current experience. And I think that is because we've lost some of that sacramentalism. We've lost some of these spiritual disciplines that are a key part of Christianity, prayer, fasting, silence, solitude, meditation, chanting, humming, you know, incense, all these things that are now considered to be like a little bit woo. Like, you don't, you don't walk in your average church where there's like a PowerPoint projector and people playing electric guitars and like, have those people leaving and sitting on their butts on meditation cushions in the morning for 20 minutes, like burning incense and praying and experiencing God in a deeper way. Like I agree, like church has been kind of bastardized in that sense. And I think that if we were return to like a more like 
holy, reverent, nearly mystical experience from a religious standpoint in Christianity, we would actually probably see a lot of people who would normally turn to plant medicine, turn to that instead, because it doesn't carry with it a lot of the risks and the cons of plant medicine, which kind of leads to like the last thing I kind of wanted to say. And, you know, cause it's like, well, what do I tell my kids? Right. Cause they've seen me grow tremendously via my use of plant medicines over the past decade, not only me, but me and my relationship to my wife. Well, here's what I would have to say to them. And here's what I would have to say to others. I've been there. I've been, you know, deep into journeying states and deep into plant medicines. And yeah, it has changed me. It has been a path that, that drew me into a deeper understanding of the spiritual disciplines and a deeper yearning and thirst for God and knowledge of God. But I was playing with fire. Like, it isn't the only path. As a matter of fact, there's a better path. And that better path is these old spiritual disciplines that the Christian desert fathers and mothers used without drugs. Prayer and fasting and meditation and silence and solitude and scripture study and singing and, and all of these things that allow God to reveal himself to you without demons being on board too. And so I would say, yeah, plant medicines can be fantastic, but there's such a dark energy and there's so much room for deceit and there's such a better, better, better way that I wish, 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 oh, I wish I'd known about before I got into plant medicine, what it really meant to truly experience the mystical experience of God in a fully sober state on your knees in prayer. If I would have known that, I, I never, ever, ever would have gone into that realm, especially knowing what I know now and the dangers of it. Uh, but I didn't know. However, I can tell my kids, hey, look, kids, you know what? My sons, my twin 14-year-old sons, all you need is just like your faith and understanding that God will reveal himself to you and understanding that he's real. And you can, you can taste and touch and, and feel him and, and you don't need drugs to do so. And so, um, so yeah, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll shut my yapper. And, and those are, you know, if I do drop off, I'm, I'm sorry. I just, I, I have some other things going on today, but that's, uh, that's, that's kind of my, my thoughts. And I guess the last like important things I'd want to say. Yeah, I, I did just want to jump in real quick. Um, I wanted to backtrack a little bit to what um, to what Arnold said uh, when he was talking about his ayahuasca trips. Now, I personally don't have any experiences with like DMT or or ayahuasca or anything of that sort. Although it is um, on the bucket list, maybe in the future, who knows? But one important point I think he noted was not taking the insights that you get from the medicine and applying it to daily life. I think that's that's definitely a problem most people face when they try try and toy with the with the plant medicine. They'll get like a download of information, maybe they're something like a toxic behavior that they that they're doing that they weren't aware of. It's kind of brought to the light, but they don't change it. They kind of just say, "Oh, like I was tripping. Like I'm just gonna go back to how I was living." They don't want to change anything. And for me personally, when I was on my heroic dose of of mushrooms the mushrooms kind of told me like to like kind of stay sober i guess it, I, I didn't really have a problem with like alcohol or weed or anything but they just they just i didn't want to be in an altered state of consciousness after that like it was enough they just told me to put your head down focus on 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 your work focus on your writing and and just keep building without the distraction and so that's what i did i took the insight that it gave me and i brought it to my daily life and that's where i think the the real benefits come now the problems lie when you take a drug like that like let's say you do mushrooms 
you see everything that you're doing wrong, you, you kind of have a bad trip. You can't just write it off as a bad trip and you just say, okay, I'm not going to change anything. I just had a bad trip. Like, we'll move on maybe next time. So I think that's definitely important. Now, in terms of uh, what you guys are saying with like the church and, and Christianity and, and mystical experiences, I'm, I don't really have a lot to say about that because I personally am uh, not a Christian. So I, I'm not too informed on like the, the Christian church and, and all that. But what I will say is that people are just looking for a way to communicate with God. And so when they don't have anything to believe in, they kind of turn towards other practices. Like an atheist will take mushrooms and he'll become a full-blown believer. And I think that's pretty uh, amazing personally. But when people are just lacking faith, they'll look for anything to like kind of, they'll look for anything to look for. Uh, to to follow. And so I think without religion, uh, society can get very dangerous as we see. But that's kind of my two cents on it. I just wanted to touch on like uh, grabbing the insights and, and, and applying them to daily life. Yeah, thank you. Um, I want to point out that you don't have to do something bad in order to receive something good. And that's um, experimenting too much with psychedelics and hoping you can believe in God. I mean, some people believe, uh, turn out to believe in Jesus Christ, but how many people are those? I mean, I think it's a tiny percentage that believes in Jesus Christ at the end of their psychedelics, uh, psychedelic journey. So I don't think it's necessary to experiment with such a dangerous uh, drug. And especially the synthetic kinds like LSD and uh, LSA. Yeah, and by the way, speaking of speaking of atheism, yeah, like there's atheists like I mentioned earlier, you know, who who do take a heroic dose or who do have a plant medicine experience and wind up knowing God, uh, as you just astutely noted, not knowing Jesus per se, but knowing God. And I guess where my mind goes is like, would I rather have an atheist? who doesn't believe in God, or would I rather have an atheist who believes in God, believes God is at his disposal, his beck and call, believes that he can be God, and believes that he is inherently good. And I think that the latter person could actually go on and do a great more damage to the world than the former person because of some of the things I was talking about earlier, the potential for the complete disillusion of moral absolution as an atheist develops spiritual enlightenment, but you know, you kind of, instead of awakening a really good empathetic person, you can kind of potentially awaken a Hitler. And so that's, that's my concern, I guess. I just, uh, kind of an afterthought. If I can just jump in there as well. Um, as I'm listening to this, it's like, you know, the genie's at the bottle now, Like this stuff is, there's, you, it's, you can, it's possible to do uh, various different ceremonies all over the place. So, I mean, this is out, and as you said, it's part of becoming increasingly part of um, popular culture, really. And certainly over the last, you know, 10, uh, 14 years or so, I've definitely seen a big shift and hear about more celebrities talking about their ayahuasca experience and stuff. So I guess the, the question leads on to then is like, well, what, what, do you actually, what do you actually do about that then? Because if you tell people, oh, this is evil, it's opening up to demonic spirits, if they've not done it, they won't really get that you kind of almost have to do it to go yeah okay i can see how i'm communing with uh, another realm a different sense of reality 
and as we said, like I, I, I certainly believe that like integration, making integration coaching more available for people, um, which is something I've never had. You have to kind of figure it all out yourself. And I think if you can, if you've got someone who's going to help coach you through the integration process, I think you could prop that would certainly help a lot of people who've gone through that experience can then make sense of it and put action to the insights they've had about themselves and about their life that they need to address because we're not going to stop people doing it now it's going to have to be what's the how do you create the conditions that people become aware of alternative options and also willing to do the hard yards like for me with my meditation practice it took me years of dedicated practice before i experienced anything well i had a very one very very profound experience uh, which which lasted for like two days which totally shifted my perspective and produced a belief in god which i didn't have before and that was just through meditation but to say to people okay don't do plant medicines but i want you to meditate every day twice a day for the next couple of years and then you will be able to connect and have this transformative experience it's a it's quite a hard sell so I don't know what the answer is. I think integration coaching is a big one to help people make sense of their experience so they don't feel like they need to keep going back. But do you know what I mean? Like the genie's at the bottom. And then just to say, oh, well, if you, if you believe in, in Christ or God and salvation, you'll be saved. But people do have some incredible uh, testimonies of their um, transformation by being by through grace. But there's a lot of people out there who don't have that experience. It might be alcoholics or might be drug addicts or depressed and they aren't they haven't had that transformative experience yeah i get what you're saying like my my fear is like okay so if, if these things are lumped into the categories of things that are like scarring to the soul or you could potentially like lose your salvation through them or, or turn your soul over to the devil for them you know i'm talking about like you know porn and murder and and the so-called pharmacia then we're talking about something different than like somebody who has celiac disease being told, dude, gluten is going to F you up. And that person can leave and go the rest of their life and not eat gluten and just kind of like trust that, okay, well, gluten's, they said gluten's going to F me up, so I'm not going to try it. You know, and then maybe somebody tells them, you know what, this pizza place is the best on the planet. You got to add this to your bucket list and do it before you die. And that person with celiac disease then goes and has the pizza and they've got, you know, they've got whatever explosive diarrhea the next day and they're painting the back of the toilet seat and life, life kind of sucks for a few days. And they're like, huh, okay, I went and experienced it. Turns out that person was right. It's not so great. And so they, they learn, they move on. But the thing is, like, gluten isn't a battle for your soul and digestive distress isn't a battle for your soul. And so if one of my friends comes to me, you know, me being a married Christian man and says, dude, like, sex at the Bunny Ranch down at Reno is amazing. You can pay three girls to bang you all at once and uh, you know and you, know, you get like a 12 hour experience for like 3000 this is amazing dude and like for me as a married man I could be like oh well I guess I'll just go kind of do it and figure out whether it's for me it's like no that's where I draw the line that's like oh wait I could lose my soul doing that like that's a mortal sin for me as a married man to go down and do that and then when you look at plant medicine it's like oh this this is this is like amazing it's a way of knowing god but then I flip open to the bible and it says this is how your soul gets damned to hell. I'm just like, for me as a Christian, I'm like, gee, I don't know. Even if it is that great, is it necessary? Is there another way? And am I just basically out of curiosity's sake, like playing around with something eternal and the fate of my very soul could be in the balance. And so that's, that's where I think there's some subtle nuances. 
especially for somebody, obviously somebody's not a Christian. A lot of my words aren't even going to resonate, but for somebody well, who's a Christian, you know, they, they might. Yeah. Well, that, yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the difference, isn't it? Because if you're talking to Christians, you're talking on the same playing field, but obviously a lot of people wouldn't even identify as Christian or have got no interest in Christianity, like we say, because the various denominations of the church have completely sold out and are more interested in, you know, social justice or the environment or the latest, you know, um, fad thing that they want to jump on the back of just to try and appeal to more people, which seems to do the opposite and just pushes more people away. So there's obviously a message there for, for Christians to, for them to contemplate certainly. And then I think there's a different thread there of like, how do you then, take that message out to people yeah. who are you show them yeah. and these <laughs> people. That's, that's, that is the tricky part. And I guess like for that, I'd say you can't say don't do it because the Bible says it's wrong. Cause if you don't believe that, yeah. you know, the Bible's the absolute truth, that really just falls on deaf ears. But what you can say is, okay, if you really are doing this, you really believe it works, then you do believe in the spiritual world. Unless you're one of those very few people, and there's very few of them who believe it's just neurochemicals and neurotransmitters. And therefore, if there is a real existence of a very real spiritual world, and some of it's good and some of it's evil, then I would say proceed with great caution because you're opening yourself up to both the good and the evil. And if I were you, I wouldn't do it. You know, And that's all I can say, right, is like, you're messing around with something that's possibly more powerful than you think. Please, 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 please be careful. And if you'd like, come find me and I'll tell you a way you can get the same stuff without doing it. And that's pretty much like as far as I can go, right? Yeah, it's like getting the message out there. And I think making the, as we touched on previously, I mentioned things like contemplative prayer and kind of like the everyday mysticism, taking that message out there that there are, um, there's meditation there is benefit to ritual you know like people like jordan peterson and jonathan peugeot they do a great job in raising people's interest like i wasn't interested in the bible until i heard jordan peterson maybe like five years ago and then it kind of opened up my mind because i was of the view as a lot of people i know growing up were like yeah the bible's stupid who gives a shit about the bible there's nothing in it it's an old book who cares let's move on and then people like jonathan peugeot and peterson I've completely opened my eyes up to, to reading it. And I think, so then the, maybe there's something there about bringing that, the contemplative tradition and making it, raising people's awareness that they don't even know that that's there. And they think that they have to live in a monastery or um, become a monk for them to be able to live a life of um, meaning or communion with God. Right. Um, yeah. So maybe. The yeah. And I mean, for, and for some people, I mean, that might even be like just like a, you know, like a secular, like Joe Dispenza meditation retreat or something where they can be like, oh, wait, there's a way to an altered state of consciousness that doesn't require this. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and I still think there's that room for people who are with, struggling with addiction or trauma and those kind of things. Like, you know, as we said, it's got to be very carefully handled. I mean, all of this is a general commentary on society as a whole, really. I mean, we're talking about the lack of the, the kind of society that's producing all that mental illness and all those societal problems. Hey, I got to actually pop off. This has been such, such a thought provoking discussion. I, lo I love to learn from folks like you guys and your experiences. So I personally got to drop off. But uh, thank you guys so much for, uh, for, for putting up with me, me hogging the mic for the last little bit. <laughs> no, cool, man. Thank you so much for joining right. us. Ben, yeah, thank you for joining, bro.
yeah, for sure. You, Thanks, man. you guys. All right. God bless. Later. So there's two events coming up. You go to both of them. I'm going to go to both of them, obviously. I'm going to fly to Texas, then fly over to Lexington. The Texas event called Runga is October 13th through the 15th. The Wild Health one is October 22nd. Go to both. I am, obviously. You can also check bengreenfieldlife.com slash calendar for all of the events that I'll be teaching at this year. So I hope to see you there. More than ever these days, people like you and me need a fresh, entertaining, well-informed, and often outside-the-box approach to discovering the health and happiness and hope that we all crave. So I hope I've been able to do that for you on this episode today. And if you liked it, or if you love what I'm up to, then please leave me a review on your preferred podcast listening channel, wherever that might be. And just find the Ben Greenfield Life episode. Say something nice. Thanks so much. It means a lot.